Hi, everyone, yeah. and welcome to another edition of the BSSH Sport and History podcast. My name is Connor Heffernan, and I am very happy, um, after several uh, false starts, all my own fault, uh, to introduce John Fisher to the podcast. John is formerly of the University of Newcastle in Australia, and he's just published a paper entitled Cricket and Social Status in the Early 19th Century, the career of Richard Cheson, and I hope I've said that correctly, 1797 to 1858. So I'll open by just asking John to maybe introduce yourself and give a brief overview of uh, this project. Okay, uh, right. I'm long retired from the university. I, well over 10 years, and uh, I retired as much I lost the political battles <laughs> that were going on at the time, which I won't bore you with, uh, just to say that was an impetus. And uh, after my wife died, I spent uh, much time in England as in Australia, uh, especially in the village in which I grew up. And uh, I've got a partner here who also uh, is attached to the village. And uh, I've been in England now very reasonably for two years because of COVID. We, I, I've uh, no, normally, although I was in the economics department, I'm a really a historian and a social historian rather than an economic historian. Uh, and I've always been fascinated by class distinction from the time I grew up in the village, you know, just little <laughs> uh, little differences and so on, their importance in people's lives. And Australia, of course, also helps. Uh, it's less important there. It's, it, it exists, of course, but uh, there was a different perspective on things. And uh, yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed uh, researching these sort of, uh, sort of issues that led me here. This one kicked off when uh, myself and two old friends in the village uncovered an inscription in the graveyard. And it was fascinating stuff. This, it was Richard Chesley and his, his wife and two dead children. Uh, and it, it would have been put there by his sister. And it was from there, really, everything grew. And, yeah, well, not only Richard's story, but his father's story as well. It was well, I want to say hilarious. <laughs> He was a leading conservative in the early 19th century who uh, engaged, well, I, I would have said, on, in fraud on a large scale. And, uh, but still maintained his position at the top of, you know, in society. Wow. Uh, well, as Richard was able to do through cricket. Anyway, that's, yeah, that's how we got into it. No, which is fascinating. So what was on the gravesite that was so interesting that it wasn't just here lies Richard Cheslin? What, what, what was the, the interesting hook on the tombstone? The first bit was identifying uh, Richard, late of Langley Priory, as we found out later. Uh, he wouldn't have been in <laughs> anywhere near the Priory for about 20 years. And then the next line, distributor of stamps that county, Leicestershire. Mm. What is a distributor of stamps? I didn't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I do now, but uh, 
well, the, the legal stamps that go on uh, on documents without which they're not, not normally accepted. And then, yeah, a whole list of lines on others. This stone was erected by his sister, the sole survivor of this generation of an ancient family. Wow. Uh, the only religious bit is at the end. Glory to God. <laughs> the rest of it. The rest of it. And, uh, yeah, he marries uh, the 17-year-old daughter of the local miller, who is Mr. John Newcomb. And Mr., of course, is, is quite an important social <laughs> identification in that era. And, uh, yeah, actually. They got married, I think, yeah, 1849 at Shelton Church. We found it in the in the registry, and uh, yeah, 35 years older, which of course is not unknown, but it's still quite uh, quite distinctive. Never did find out how they met. I, I found a connection, as I said in the article, but uh, it's not it's not definitive. But uh, anyway, yeah, this the bit of the fun is. Okay, we haven't got any personal papers as such. Uh, no idea what would have happened to them. Uh, for the father, there's a lot of legal material, but for Richard, it is essentially uh, the well, the context from people like Burley and so on, who, who is a yeah, he's an inspiration. <laughs> Burley, <laughs> the social history of cricket, that was an inspiration, uh, and then a newspaper. Newspapers and it's so easy to use them online now. Wow, you lot are so lucky <laughs> compared to my day. <laughs> I do laugh well, when, day, anyway. when <laughs> I um, when I was doing my dissertation. I remember my supervisor talking about how he meticulously went through you know every page of the newspaper yes. for months and months and months and months. And he goes, so you know, Connor, how are you? Um, how are you finding material? I was like, oh, I just type in. Um, gym or gymnasium or physical culture and you know in it goes and goes oh well I mean you, you don't get as much of the context when you do it like that and I'm saying well I understand that but I also have 5,000 hits so I mean yes yeah you've got you've got to sort those a bit yeah yeah I had that trouble with with another bloke I was working on but but Richard was fairly but and yeah from the newspaper you you could sort of uh, put together the lifestyle and so on mm. quite nicely Plus with other reading, because it's uh, my starting history was late 19th century. And uh, so this was, yes, this is about the earliest uh, I've looked at. But a fascinating period, though, fascinating mm. period. Yeah, uh, and I actually on, um, on lifestyle, it's probably worth bringing up about Richard lifestyle, because I think you you do a really interesting thing in the paper. You do show the like the dire straits financially that he found himself in yes. at several points. And it was staggering to see how cricket and how sport was really the life raft at so many points in his, in his life to maintain that sort of yeah. pos position with the elites. Yeah, that, and he rides this sort of transition from, you know, in Burley, you know, uh, it was it was new to me that it was mostly about gambling for the upper classes in the uh, late 18th, early 19th centuries. And he, he's obviously heavily involved in that. And that period, he may even have had a bit of money of his own. But he's able to ride this sort of transition to the, you know, the noble game 
or the usual stuff. Well, it's the golden age, isn't it? The uh, later 19th century. And uh, oh, that, that lovely book, Ashley was one of my, uh, of the uh, referees that uh, pointed it out. And I followed that up, uh, you know, sort of uh, cricket grounds in Leicestershire, upper, <laughs> on upper class estates. And so, wow. And yeah, he, he's obviously, he's, he, well, he's not that brilliant a cricketer. <laughs> he can hold his own among his class. But he's obviously an affable character. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, enjoys a, enjoys a drink. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's good. Um, that was, I don't know if I brought it out. I didn't sort of uh, draw attention to it uh, definitively. But he's mixing with people, you know, much younger than him mm. when he joins mm. Idzingari. And, uh, yeah, that, I could have worked that up, I think, more. But it, it is normally younger, you know, uh, the skins of upper-class houses and they form this club and so on. Uh, the, the gypsies and uh, yeah just suits him down to the ground he is twice the age of <laughs> the people he's playing with in the main but accepted as such mm. Mm. the Marquis of Burley as well yeah he, he, he able to and I just wondered what they made of his marriage there is no comment anywhere yeah and, and maybe for um, listeners can you dig into say the marriage and what you found on it or, or, or why they're sus or not suspect but why people would be interested in his marriage um i suppose yeah well he he, he does you know the first child a son and heir maybe he is hopeful of re-establishing his position as, as a gentleman with uh, with land i mean there was there's a marvelous uh phd on leicestershire gentry which was uh, you know, excellent background material all the way through. And of course, anyway, you know, the story of the gentry, and they, they, they get hammered at the end of the century. But even before that, you know, you, can, you come and go quite easily. It's not difficult to fall out uh, mm. of there. And well, when you've fallen out with for Richard, yeah, his mates make sure that he's got, he's got at least some sort of support. Yeah, distributor of stamps, <laughs> which is socially acceptable, one assumes. <laughs> uh, you, you would certainly there. hope so. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, on that, you do make the point that despite the fact that people would presume that Richard has a great deal of paternal support financially, it's almost completely absent in large parts of his life. And it does seem to be his sociability and then ability to organise that yes. really, really keeps him within that, within that elite. Because as a cricketer, he seems to be, as I said, like he can hold his bat with the best of them, but he's not, he's not like a, you know, a sporting celebrity from that perspective. But it's yeah. the organisation, it's the clubhouse, it's the, you know, yes. the, the ability to make but linkages with people seems to be so important. Typical gentleman who doesn't always follow it through. <laughs> <laughs> There's two or three Leicestershire clubs <laughs> under his ages. Yeah, he's not able to, uh, and you do wonder how much, uh, you know, he did, he did, he did uh, actually put the hard hard work in, you know, to keep it going. But I, I think he is, a, again, I, I'm not able to prove it definitively, but 
I did try to do that bit of comparison with Clark of Nottinghamshire, because mm-hmm. Nottinghamshire mm-hmm. was always dominated by professionals. Leicestershire, right, pretty much to the end of the century by gentlemen. And uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you'd have to go with Nottinghamshire. They are the top, <laughs> the top side for the late 19th century. I remember that well, 50 years ago, starting my PhD, reading the Times, as you said, look, as your supervisor said, laboriously, and looking at the cricket scores <laughs> along the way. Yeah. The one thing I couldn't establish, and again, I didn't try to make anything of it, Leicestershire, fox hunting. I've just got the one reference to him hunting, <laughs> none for his father. And uh, even if they couldn't afford it, well, well, they wouldn't have been able to afford to maintain stables. Uh, but he could have done like Mr. Sponge. I'd, I did like my comparison to Mr. Sponge, mm. which is a, a wonderful book. <laughs> uh, out of, on another character, <laughs> well, nowhere near as it. No one near as pleasant uh, to uh, put up in your place as, as Mr. Chesley. But uh, yeah, manages to, uh, uh, well, pursue his fox hunting on minimal resources again. Mm. Yeah, it seems like he, as I said, he's, you have a, a wonderful line in it where he's, um, he offers much more to his peers than Mr. Sponge. Sorry, I just found it um, in terms of Richard. And so he does seem to be someone who's able to, for his time, maybe not effortlessly, but he does seem to cross the class spectrum uh, quite neatly at different times. So, I mean, you mentioned the Leicester Cricket Club. And I think he's the only Esquire in a team that's predominantly lower and middle class players. Is that right? Early on. Early on, yeah. Later, later the, as you get more and more upper class, uh, more gentry, clergymen, of course, or a Cree group later on, uh, then the professionals tend to get excluded. The club in Leicester itself, you know, parallel is parallel a little bit to radical Leicester and conservative county. Hmm. And uh, of course, it is the county side that he's fo- focusing on. But early on, yes. And I loved it when, uh, right at the start, when was it? The, he organises the game between. 16 of Knots and 11 of... No, no, the other way around. 16 of Leicestershire, the 11 of Knots. But I think it's 200 sovereigns or guineas. And because obviously you've got to have gentlemen there, otherwise you can't raise the stake. <laughs> this is the problem, of course, always for the professionals. But, uh, yeah, they, well, you're paid to play and so on. <laughs> I mean, Burley's book is hilarious on, on mm. that. I was, just, I was thinking of it, actually, when they were talking about Yorkshire in recent days and uh, remembering back to the days of Lord Hawke, <laughs> who would slip five bob to anybody who took a catch off his bowling. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if, how much. No, I, I think that attitude is probably gone. But <laughs> it, it, it was an insight. I say Burley into you know the, the persistence of these mm. of, the, of these sort of class distinctions. Yeah, and yeah, Richard, oh, he, he can cross boundaries, but and he marries yeah beneath him, but his 
aspirations always firmly on his own class. Mm. They're living up our own means when it's obviously got no means <laughs> before he gets his uh, appointment. It also reminded me when I, I can remember reading a life of Sir Robert Peel when he first gets into office. He's sort of taken aback by the, the, the sheer number of applications for sinecures and so on. <laughs> it's still the way to go. Well, I mean, don't look, don't look a gift horse in the mouth if you have a job like that. Well, it, it yeah, but it feels, I mean, he was one of your righteous, you know, upstanding, honest types and so on, and a bit, a bit boring on that sort of scheme. But he obviously, well, he did take an interest in local uh, politics, you know, around his area. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's presumably not unhappy for, to appoint Richard to... Uh, to his post, which is there for that sort of person, I presume. You know, like Wordsworth up in Cumberland. It's, uh, you can look after your own quite nicely that way. Yeah, you have to find no, something to look like that. <laughs> yes. Well, that's it. It's, it's all, most of that's gone. You have to know Boris these days too, <laughs> in, the, in this country too. Now, that's not entirely true. There are quite a few in the Conservative Party who've done quite nicely without relying on Boris. Anyway, anyway, I shan't get on to contemporary politics. As, as, as an Irishman who works in Northern Ireland, I'm just keeping very tight-lipped on any mention of British politics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yes, it's fascinating at the moment. But, uh, yeah, that is pure politics. That's yeah. the system. Now the sleaze episode I love today. And I say that is eternally attached to politics. You know, I mean it's one of the joys of power, isn't it? Being able to look after your mates. Mm. And I think it is something that Richard benefits hugely from is this ability to, as you say, without having a proverbial pot to you know what in, you know, being able to maintain this sort of upper class gentleman. And actually being quite, um, like he, he seems to be like a protagonist in that. Like he's very clever at settling himself in positions where he will be held in high esteem. So you mentioned about his position as a secretary and treasurer. And yeah. he, he's continually, I suppose, introducing new quirks or new ideas or new innovations like this talk of, I think he gets a professional to help the batters. He selects venues quite astutely so that admission can be charged going into the venue. Just little things that make him a sort of invaluable part of the clubhouse. Yeah. It's what makes cricket rather interesting in that, again, in that era. And that's why I brought Clark in a bit, that you've got the, uh, uh, the upper class strand and so on, playing on, you know, constructing grounds on, uh, on your own uh, estate. But you've also got, yeah, well, like Lords itself. Uh, then I think Lords is a model uh, for others around, like, like uh, uh, Cheslin's uh, mate in, in Leicester and so on. Mm. So, yeah, mm. the, if there's money to be made, somebody's going to look for the champ. Uh, and I think he, I can't even remember his name, uh, Barker, yeah. He, I mean, there's more money to be made by catering to upper class people and putting on dinners for them and so on, than just the, 
you know, whatever it is threatened from the ordinary folk coming in. As problem for Clark at Trent Bridge, it, it, you know, it was a failure for a star. Whereas in Leicester, Barker's ground, yeah, obviously flourished mm. <clears throat> with with the right sort of market, mate. <laughs> Your target market's got to be right. Yeah, has the right Hull, level of rich. Yeah, and he's he's prepared to put the effort into to, to keeping that going, uh, as well as as well as uh, yeah, canoodling with it, with his friends. As I say, it, the only th- I just wondered how much of a misstep his marriage was, as uh, nobody mm-hmm. greets it with. Joy and acclamation. Oh, yeah, Mr. Ch- Richard Cheslin is married. You just get the official notices in all the papers and so on. And it's two witnesses. They are both cricketers, but they're not what you might call them among the more prominent of the people he plays with in the end. No, no Lord Burley or anything like that. But the interaction with Lord Burley, yeah. And Lord Burley, did I get it in a footnote? Uh, his father had, uh, was mostly notorious for evicting uh, uh, hundreds of tenants for voting the wrong way in the 1832, 30, was it 31 election? Now, immediately prior to the Reform, Reform Act. They put these things seriously. Mm. <laughs> it's one, one way of putting it. And actually, yeah, the, um, the 1832 Reform Bill may does play a part in sort of Richard's story and Richard's trajectory. Can you maybe talk about the impact that, or the presumed impact that the that had among his sort of elite class during that time? I didn't explore it thoroughly here. I look, I, I was also interested that I wrote a piece on his father, which I published in Leicestershire Historian. And he, because uh, his father attached himself very firmly to the what you might call the Tory faction around the Duke of Rutland, mm-hmm. the diehards. And also, oh yeah, in your story, or, uh, who also opposed bitterly our, uh, Catholic emancipation, which I always, always wondered, Wellington's you know, willingness to, you know, to give the Catholics the votes. And it was bitterly opposed by you know, leading members of the party. Only got it, got it through with uh, opposition assistance. And yeah, they, they're extreme diehards, these boys are. Uh, defense of the British Constitution and all its glory. Hmm. And uh, yeah, it, they are a bit in trouble, 1832, the, the Tories. It's in the counties where you've still got appreciable number of freeholders and so on. They, they are very much pro-reform. The, <laughs> the diehards, the Dukes of Newcastle and all the Rutland and all the rest, well, Richmond and so on, they are pretty much, apart from their own hangers-on and so on, they're, they're pretty much out on a limb. It, it always surprised me that Wellington opposed reforms quite so vigorously after, you know, after being able to accept Catholic emancipation. That's Daniel O'Connell, isn't it? Yeah, that's I right. Remember enough about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Averting some strife yeah. in Ireland. 
you remember more than I suspect a lot of Irish people do. Uh, we don't we don't teach our history to uh, particularly well. But that's that's a bitterness for another day um, on my part. On sure, because there's so much <laughs> Irish history. So absolutely fascinating in the nineteenth century. I could take over this podcast uh, with a wee <laughs> rant, but anyway, um, something and and this is more conjecture than anything else. But you mentioned that you know even into his forties, Richard has a profile in say newspapers of enjoying his leisure, and you have a wonderful quote from one of the local newspapers. Is this someone who is um, like displaying a sort of the trappings of his uh, social class to make others believe in it, or is this someone with I'm like to use a different example. I'm always just amazed when I read Churchillian biographies where they talk about these, you know, this man was in debt for like 20 or 30 years and seemingly, you know, money just seemed to rain down at the right moments and he never particularly seemed to worry about spending too much or being in debt. Is Richard playing a game, do you think, to make sure people see him of the right status or is this just someone who is a spendthrift who is able to sort of keep, keep enough money coming in that he's able to maintain everything like is, is it is it cynical or silly i suppose are the two the two sides of the coin that i'm thinking about i love i love your question uh, as an academic historian yeah. <laughs> uh, there's insufficient evidence but i would guess he goes into debt fairly easily hmm. there there some of the records afterwards uh, which I'm, I, I did mention, uh, I'm sure he owes some of his friends quite a bit. Mm. And uh, there is a bit of an attempt to, to recover it from his estate. And the only trouble is he hasn't got any estate. <laughs> <laughs> probate comes in very low. Uh, so, but and he, I'm not sure how much he'd care mm. as long mm. as people accept it, as, as they did his, his father. His father's bankrupt for about the last 10 years. And he's still justice of the peace and presides over the small claims court in which he gives out advice to people in financial trouble. And he's in more financial trouble than they are. Yeah, it, I don't know. How do you explain it? If it's people want to keep, see you, stay in the position they've always known you, I think. Mm. There is some sort of maybe a emotional uh, tie that you can play on. And I, I'm not even sure as he does it consciously. What he does with his cricket, because he, he does a lot of organising. But in other respects, you know, he's, he's, all, he's the bloke who proposes toasts to do's and things. Uh, he's, he, yeah, everybody, right, Rich, he, you know, he, he'll give us a good one. <laughs> and, uh, goes up in his balloon <laughs> and uh, the, the associated what was it the Marquis I can't remember the Marquis anyway that paints the town red and like, <laughs> I mean he's, he's a hanger on there because yeah this bloke is throwing water uh, throwing money around like water and uh, yeah you might as well get in there and, <laughs> and enjoy something <laughs> well. have fun um, to, to use a very modern sporting example, the former chairman of the Irish Football Association was known for buying fans pints uh, whenever Ireland went to a tournament. And it was quite funny then he, he's been ousted 
and they're now looking into the accounts and people are sort of up in air, up in arms about how the how the money was spent at different periods. But it's the same people, a lot of them were benefiting from said points uh, in the pub. So sort of get in while they're going while they're going's good yeah. and then worry about it afterwards. Um but sorry, again, allegedly, well not allegedly, there's a book about Actually, Newcastle you've Champion got a, football. <laughs> you've got a nice theme though there for sport, sporting clubs. And uh, the way in which well, which there's there's a lack of surveillance over what's happening to the funds often, <laughs> uh, yeah, which again obviously goes well back in the past. <laughs> and uh, I remember I remember even that that was the cricket club at my university. <laughs> I think ninety percent of expenditure was extras, <laughs> other expenses rather than anything specific. I, I expect there's a, a very libelous podcast to be done on it at some point. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. There was a theme there, wasn't there? Um, <laughs> there. So at, at the risk of uh, derailing this back towards Richard um, and away from anything that can get Connor in trouble from the rest of the BSSH executives, you, you mentioned, and I think it's really nicely done, the ways in which cricket shifts during Richard's lifetime. Yeah. So I'm thinking about it near the late 1830s so i'm just trying to find i'd written down in it yeah so in 1837 you mentioned that richard's approach to the game is starting to seem a little bit dated so that his objectives in sort of organizing games and putting games together is more about maintaining status and lifestyle rather than winning or like profit maximization you know making money from the games and i think it's interesting you talk about like this is richard's modus operandi his mo but the, it's the Leicester Herald, I think, starts to critique this a little bit. So what, what are the yeah. shifting peaks in cricket at that time that Richard is sort of trying to navigate through? Well, essentially, the, Richard Burley does it best. And as I say, early on, uh, early, 19, early 19th century, late 18th, early 19th century, the upper class they more or less sponsor cricket games and they will bat. Hmm. But <laughs> professionals are there to bowl and field. You know, it's, it's when you get all these single wicket games and so on. But Squire Osbaldiston, who is a crooked, <laughs> he loses all his money too. But uh, yeah, he, he's, he, and he is good. You know, he, he is a sportsman, better than Richard. Uh, it's yeah, navigating the way through, but you've got, and I'm sure Richard learns his cricket on the village ground, you know, as a, as a boy. So it's like in Tom Brown's school days, you know, right at the start of that, there's a, a village cricket match, and yeah, you've got a union of the classes to a degree there, but as the uh, as gentlefolk get more and more involved in the game and learn how to bowl and field. I, I loved his, his mate who was the best long stop in the business. <laughs> a, cricket, a cricket position, of course, has long disappeared. I was watching one of those 20, 2020, whatever the games they are, and the bloke hoiked it over his head. A long stop would have been useful. <laughs> it's not something you use nowadays. Uh, but, yeah, they... they come into the gaming increasingly and you say to look at the composition of sides by the uh, 1840s 
with all the reverence and uh, sirs and lords and things in it. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's made for him because he's he goes on that tour with the young Hartop and so on. And Hartop is one of those puts a cricket ground in on his estate. Nobody's going to ask him for money, mm. and it doesn't mm. matter whether he's playing for you know his, his mate's team or against them for the county or for Isingari. You know. It, He's adaptable. He doesn't. He doesn't mind who he plays for. He's not trying to build. I don't think he's trying to build a county side for the future. Mm. It is. It is to indulge his own proclivities. I'm sure of it. (laughs) (laughs) Remarkably, it seems like in his sort of the tail end of his cricketing career he begins to get sort of celebrated as the player rather than as the organiser. So you talk about near the end, you know, Captain Cheslin sort of defying, a, I think, again, I'm just looking at the notes that I had for this. Um, age I, I remember, ca- cannot wither him nor custom stale his infinite variety. Yes. <laughs> Which is just fascinating uh, that someone who seemed to have been a respectable player, but not necessarily, you know, a superstar of the game near the end of his career starts to be something of an attraction or an oddity um, based on his age. Based on his age, he's obviously learned some wiles and mm. copied Clark and his bowling. But it's don't put too much in it because those games which suit him down to the ground, you know, is, are among his people of his own class and, and above. He's not... He's not <laughs> the, the nastiness of professional bowlers. He, he's managing to avoid all that sort of thing. And, and I do wonder that, I remember that quote, uh, and yeah, that phrase too. But he is increasingly at that time as well. He's, he doesn't play for indis, indisposition and so on. And I just wonder if a lifetime of drinking, <laughs> 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 more so than having to bat without pads, <laughs> Is catching up when he has that ridiculous one uh, one wicket game with Lord Burley, and uh, right afterthought, he's given three fielders. <laughs> I've never quite understood one wicket <laughs> games, mm. but there, I think there is a limited area within which you can actually score runs. Okay, so it's a high high time for his career, but not necessarily in the most. Testing yeah. of environments. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's playing on, he's playing, you know, in the country houses of his friends and so on. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, he, he must have loved it. And then something that I'm interested in as we start to sort of wind down is I'm, I'm right in thinking one of Richard's sons survives him. Is that right? William Hutchinson? Yes. What what becomes of him? Because I say Richard's estate. I think you said he had like three hundred pounds or less than three hundred pounds, give or take. Less, less right? than three hundred. Yeah. Uh, he stays with the father-in-law for a year or two. Then he's put in an orphanage, and then uh, his grandmother's family, who are uh, the barbers, who are uh, big in coal mining in Nottinghamshire, Derbyshire. Uh, one of their members takes him up, and I think he goes to live there. But anyway, he's put through college and gets some sort of legal qualification. 
and finishes up as a, uh, a secretary uh, in local government and local organizations. But I haven't written, <laughs> got this all from my mate who's, you know, the, the friends are into family history and so on. Uh, there are still descendants extant, not necessarily with the name Cheslin. Uh, my last memory of, well, there's two things on the family that, you know, the, the sister, you know, talks about the last member of this generation of an ancient family. Well, no, <laughs> there are other Cheslins <laughs> of that generation. Okay, they're not, they weren't in line to inherit the estate if it had remained with them, <laughs> but they're still in the village where, you know, close to the estate. And, uh, I've been there and seen their tombstones. And uh, William, William Hutchinson, yeah, the last ma mention I've got of him in the papers, he, he's arrested for being drunk and disorderly. <laughs> but it, he's got no pretensions to gentility. Mm. But he's obviously mm. has about three or four children. And, you know, as I say, though, I, I don't know. I've never been into family history, so I don't know how to use ancestry and so on. But my friends who do, they... They tried to contact existing members that haven't been able to. Yeah, and I think it's just, even on that, it is interesting to see that, you know, Richard's socialization, his ability to remain within this yeah. class, it, it's so tenuous, like it's so fragile that Absolutely. his son isn't able to use the same play. It, se it seems very unique to Richard's skill set. And it's not, it's not easily transferable. It's not transferable without something more concrete than he's able to offer. Even though, as I say, he's a, the barbers are actually quite wealthy. Hmm. But they're not landowners. Well, no, they probably did were by the 20th century. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they, they just ensure that he gets education and so he's able to get reasonable job, jobs and so on. But it, it is, yeah, social... Social mobility, such a fascinating area, mm. such a fascinating area. Yeah, and I mean, it's within this where you show that, like, it's it's not financially, like, finances are not the only element of this, because you said, like, it is it is well known that Richard is short of a bob or two, but it's sort of, he's one of us, you know, is seems to be, the, he's, he's one of us and he's useful, um, seems to be the things that save him. And you can observe that, I don't know that, yeah, I think even today, that uh, you will, people who are <laughs> they're down on their luck, but <laughs> they belong to, you know, a, a superior social class. Part of the fascination of the English, I don't know about Irish, but it's certainly the English <laughs> social structure. And I don't know if it's paralleled elsewhere. It's, it's Certainly not as strong in Australia, where uh, it is tied pretty strongly to money. Uh, mm. uh, class is pretty, you know, pretty, tied pretty closely to money uh, throughout. But it isn't in England to the same degree, mm. as, and, as with Richard. Uh, yeah, as, as Richard shows. So I suppose there are two final questions um, I have. One is sort of delving in something we talked about at the beginning of this uh, interview like recovering Richard's um, history or, you know, the information on Richard, what did you say so you had a, a tombstone, which is a, 
you know, a very important but often underused part of doing history. You had newspapers, the census. How did you piece together his life? Because like I said, there's no personal papers, but there's actually a huge, there's a very solid biography here of this this individual. Yeah, they uh, record offices. There's quite a lot on the Cheslins in both the Leicestershire and the Nottingham, Nottinghamshire uh, record offices. I went to Dysworth and uh, got in touch with El. Oh, local history is so big these days. You know, you can always find somebody interested and uh, wanting to cooperate to, to let you know that, you know, what they know and so mm-hmm. on. Uh, that was especially true for his father. Uh, Richard, after you know, establishing, you know, the background that Milden it up, it was essentially newspapers. And going backwards and forwards, ah, yeah, this is how it's going. Uh, with Derek Burley as a as a context, <laughs> referring back to him, yeah, yeah, this is what's happening over this sort of era, <laughs> uh, play, playing, you know, gambling on cricket and such like, and uh, then the transition to the noble game and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, the newspapers were the key, and as I say, so easy these days compared to when I started. Yeah, it's um, I I don't like to rub it in, but it does make it rather easier uh, at times. And you know, people sometimes say, "Oh, but you know, that means then," and try to give an excuse. It's like, no, it is just that 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 element has become a lot nicer um, than it used to be. So, as well as as the final question, I say, let's say I have one point five questions left. Um, how do we sum up Richard's career, or what do you think is the the, the overview of Richard's career. Um, in Ireland, I might use the term that he was a bit of a chancer uh, who got lucky, but I'm not, I'm not sure if that's maybe the, um, the takeaway that you would have. He exemplifies the ability of a gentleman to maintain his status in the face of <laughs> financial disaster. <laughs> that's a bit too long-winded, isn't it? Yeah, he's a chancer on, the, on that score. <laughs> But he, he navigates that transition in cricket so well. Mm. You, have to, you have to admire him for that. And his mates, yeah, the gentlemen and so on, they're obviously, yeah, they like playing the game, but they need somebody to, <laughs> to organise the game, uh, however poorly sometimes. And, yeah, I, yeah he, he, Richard is, uh, is willing to do that. And successfully, yeah. Certainly from his point of view, though, from Leicestershire's point of view, I don't. I'm not so sure. They, uh, you know, sort of the heavy involvement of gentlemen is not a good uh, auspice for the for the future for for the county cricket team. I would have argued after reading the, <laughs> the history of county <laughs> of Leicestershire county cricket as well. I think they would agree with me actually. Mm. And yeah, it, it is. Um, he does remark. He does remarkably well to tap into the fact that people prefer playing than organising, and that seems to be the, uh, the, exactly. the 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 saving grace. And so, as a final final question, I do promise this: Is there anything that we should have talked about, or any aspect of Richard's life, the career, the article um, that we should that I should have mentioned uh, at some point? Not really. As I say. Uh... 
it is this, you know, adapting to the transition that I found so fascinating once I got sufficiently into it. Uh, the only other part, you did mention it, the, the surviving son, and that it is interesting. Uh, I could never work out how he met with his future wife. Mm. Except there, there is a geographical proximity to people he would have known. But there's no reference, <laughs> no reference at all. But he, he does play a fair bit in modern literature. Uh, and to get to, to Sobol is obviously a, a bit of a cricket centre. And he would have gone through this area to get to Sobol, probably staying with people overnight. I mean, he's not going to stay in hotels by that stage. <laughs> in his friends, he can all put him up for the night. Mm. <laughs> if that's all and then wherever he's going but yeah I, I it, well which is what the tombstone of the inscription is mainly about is this rather strange marriage and Mr., you know his father-in-law has obviously got aspirations aspirations too Mr and where he lives he calls Shelford Hills which the girl uses it's Mill Farm mate <laughs> just over the road from the mill. <laughs> and of course, they, it goes downhill later in the century anyway, as do most of the gentry, because as agricultural, you know, the setback in, in farming comes through. Uh, so, I wonder, maybe, I don't know, the politics as well. He, he see, but he seems to avoid politics. He's lucky to get Peel to appoint him just before the party splits. Over the Cornwalls. He's very lucky on that. They might not have got, got the appointment another year later or so. Yeah, and I, I think for me, the um, the abiding message is that I need to find better friends. <laughs> yes, that's right. An example to us all. Exactly. I just, so for again, John, thank you so much for. Um, agreeing to be part of this podcast i said there are two false starts owing to housing problems on my end so i'm very very appreciative of it and um, for people who are interested in having a read of the paper it's entitled cricket and social status in the early 19th century the career of richard chesham 1797 to 1858 it's just been published uh, in sport and history so be able to find it online and then eventually uh, when it comes out in the print edition in a few months time but john thank you very much it's been an absolute pleasure and i really appreciate it and i'm sure the listeners will as well yeah, great.